Please open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and let's rise as we read two whole verses here. Ephesians 6, 15 and 16, my wife said, when are we getting done with Ephesians? You're slowing down. I said, we have to. We have to. These are very important verses. I'm not just, uh, not just drawing things out. Continuing with the armor of God, Paul writes, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. May God bless this short but important reading of his word today. Please have a seat. I don't know if you've watched a lot of war movies, but I have. I've seen a lot of movies. Anytime I see movies where there are two great armies standing opposed from each other like Braveheart, I can't help but imagine what it would be like to be a soldier in one of those ranks. I would be absolutely terrible. I would be standing there. I think about how terrified I would be looking at the great army that's going to come my way with swords and spears, and all they want to do is kill me. I think there would be almost nothing that would keep me in that spot. I would go, oh, guys, sorry, look at the time. I got to go. I hear my mom calling me. I got to go home for dinner. So sorry, have, have a good war. I'll, I'll talk to you guys if you make it. I always think about that. So my question has always been, what kept those soldiers standing there? What kept them in place when they saw the fearsome might of an army coming right at them? Well, there's a a lot of answers to this, and historians and military experts will tell you, well, part of that was their discipline. They were trained to be soldiers. I was not trained to be a soldier, so naturally I would be terrified. But your discipline keeps you in place. Also, they had confidence in their gear, in their armor, and what they had equipped. And they also had confidence in the men standing next to them and standing behind them. Kind of hard to leave when everybody else is standing there. There's that peer pressure factor that kept soldiers standing instead of running. But running is exactly what Satan wants you to do. We've talked about this. In spiritual warfare, he wants you to be ineffective. He wants you to be cowering or running away or being so terrified that you cannot be an effective force for Jesus. So if Satan can get you to run, you're no longer a threat to him. You're no longer going to be going out and sharing the word of Jesus. You're going to be so terrified that you're going to want to hole up in your house and never let anybody know that you stand for Christ. So he wants to make you terrified. If he can do that, he's going to. But God says, but I am going to give you some crucial pieces of armor that are going to help you, instead of running, to stand firm. And that's the two pieces we're looking at today. The two pieces of armor that God gives us are both instrumental to helping us stand instead of running away, instead of cowering instead of getting so scared about what Satan might bring our way, what tomorrow might bring in our life. I mean, we can always be scared of stuff. But God says, I want you to stand firm, so I'm going to give you two pieces of armor, shoes and a shield. Shoes and a shield, and these are going to help you stand firm. 
So the first of these we're going to look at today are the shoes. And I don't know if you thought about it, how weird our shoes are. I don't think there's any other part of our wardrobe that's as varied and as different as shoes. We have shoes for every different type of activity in our life. I might wear almost basically the same outfits every day, but my shoes change based on what I'm going to go do. If I want to be super comfortable, I might wear a pair of Crocs. If I'm going to the beach, I might wear some flip-flops. If I'm going hiking, I'm going to wear my rugged hiking shoes. If I'm going skiing, I've got those big, solid ski boots that are going on there. If I'm going to work in a dangerous work environment, I want to make sure I have my steel-toed boots on. If I'm coming to Sunday morning service, I've got my best dress shoes on to have that extra inch of lift to make me seem a little bit taller than how I normally am. And if you enjoy jogging for some reason, you enjoy torturing yourself, you might splurge on a really good pair of running shoes. We have different shoes for every occasion in our life. It's amazing. Some of us have far more shoes than is healthy, but you do you. That's fine. If you are using the wrong footwear for the activity in question, you're going to have a bad time. You don't go give a presentation in front of a boardroom wearing diving flippers. You don't go jogging with ski boots on. I mean, if you do these things, please call me. I would like to show up and film it, but you don't do it. You don't do these weird things. You've got to have the right shoes for the right occasion. And it was extra, it's always extra important for soldiers to have the right footwear. Even today, the footwear for a soldier is very, very important. They learned this, especially if you look at accounts from World War II and Korean War and Vietnam War. If they didn't have good boots that kept out the moisture, if their feet got ruined, a soldier was ineffective. We've learned this throughout history. And back in, back in antiquity, Roman soldiers had a very specialized piece of footwear that the rest of the population didn't have as a caligai. The caligai, basically, if you looked at it, it looked like a sandal. It looked like a sandal with a whole lot of straps that would start at your ankle and go all the way up to your shin. But what really made the caligai a half boot kind of very important is that on the bottom of it, they had little iron nails hammered into them. And the reason for this was the Roman soldier wasn't always walking on the nice Roman roads. They were all-terrain soldiers. They had to go on terrain that sometimes was very rugged or maybe very muddy, and so their shoes had to be able to grip that terrain. It's a lot like how we have football players and soccer players today wear cleats. There's another type of very specialized shoe. But it's the same principle. They wore the Caligai so that they could grab that terrain and be able to walk almost everywhere. But not just walk. They were also had those shoes to help them to stand. You see, when the two armies would come running and clashing at each other, one of the things that they would want to do is your, your army would want to push the other army down. Because as we've talked about, if you're on your back, if you've fallen over, you're an easy target. So they would come at the Romans and they would try to push them down with their shields or their weapons or just the sheer force of humanity. But those shoes would help them to stand firm in place and you can't push me down now. I am now locked into the turf. I'm a lot tougher. And that's why Paul talks about in verse 15 
that soldiers, us Christian soldiers, need to have this footwear that helps us be ready for that moment when somebody rushes up to us and tries to shove us down. When Satan comes at you with a powerful attack that you never saw coming. You never saw it. You never thought it was going to happen to you until the day it did. And on that day, you need to be ready. You need to have your feet planted. And Jesus says, it comes right here from the gospel of peace. This good news of a peace with God is what centers you and locks you down. And I always thought, as a kid, when I went through the armor of God, we all did this when we were kids, it's, we, we love this, I thought, that is a really weird thing for a shoe to be, is a gospel of peace. Like, that doesn't seem that tough to me. But when you really think about this, this peace grounds us in a way that nobody else in the world has. It tells you, you have a peace with God. That things between you and God are okay. That you don't have this, this uncertainty that the rest of the world has. That keeps them off-center and off-balance. That they're alienated from God. That they're struggling with the guilt of their sins. Where they don't know where they are in relation to God. And so when Satan comes at them and rushes at them with attacks, because he attacks non-believers too, he bowls them right over. They're not grounded, they're not rooted in knowing that God is at peace with them and God is for them. So they go, okay, I don't have that peace in my life, so they start thrashing around. And the non-believer will often try to find a peace somewhere else. They'll try to find peace in things like hobbies or drugs or relationships or personal achievements. And if I can just have enough of that, I'll be rooted in my life, I'll know who I am, and I'll be invincible, and nobody can push me down. And people can put up a good front about that. But they're not rooted, not as deep as they think that they really need to be. But meanwhile, the Christian, we strap on the gospel of peace. We make that part of our wardrobe, just like how the Roman soldier would strap on the Caligai when he got ready to go into battle. We're strapping on that peace between us and our Creator. As Romans 5.1 says, since we have been justified by faith, we've been saved, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. It tells us if we now have peace, then before we did not have peace. Now we have this peace. And that peace grounds you. But it's not only peace with God, that the Bible tells you. It's the peace of God. It's a peace He wants to give to you. Jesus actually told us this. He told His disciples, who were the most fearful group of men you would ever meet in your life, who ran away the second He got arrested. He said, I'm going to give you something right now. In John 14, 27, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. The peace, the personal peace, of Jesus Christ, he then turned around and he handed to his followers. He hands to you. He gives you his personal peace. It's God's peace that calms even the most anxious among us and says to us, I am sovereign. I am your God. I see you. I love you. And I am with you. Be at peace. There's nothing that can overcome me and because of that, there's nothing that can overcome you. I have you in my hands. And that right there is what makes us unmovable in the storm of life. It's God's peace. You ever see a Christian 
And you go, how can you be peaceful in a moment like this? If I was you, I'd, I'd be a mess. I've seen Christians like that in my life. All they can do is turn around and say, it's not me. It's the peace of God. It's God who's grounded me. I don't know how it's happening, but he's given me a peace that says it's going to be okay. When everything fell apart almost a year ago today, a year ago, in the middle of March, and I became the first pastor to ever close the doors of this church. And I thought, nobody's ever going to come back. I honestly had a week. I I really thought this was it. I'm watching this church going to be destroyed. And I had those moments, those really dark moments. I'm sure a lot of us here at Knox did. And we go, what's going to happen? We don't know. Is the church going to survive this? We don't know. And about three or four days into it, God basically came down, put his arms around my shoulders, said, Justin, it's going to be okay. And from then on, I couldn't even fake it. I couldn't even fake being worried about it. I have felt a peace about this situation. I knew it was going to be hard, but God was telling me it's going to be okay. If I close the doors, I'll close the doors. But right now, you need to stand, you need to preach, and you need to love. And they're going to, they're going to be loving and showing up and ministering, and it's going to be okay. And I'm just telling you, that peace kept me going for this past year. And I love that. And he has that same peace he can give to you. It makes us immovable. And this peace isn't just for us to be quiet and to kind of hold to ourselves as a special little secret. It's a peace that we need to go out and share. Isaiah 52, 7, one of the best verses in Isaiah, and he has a lot of good ones. He says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. You see, back in ancient days, back before the internet, back before cell phones, back before even the telegram, the fastest way you could get a message from one city to the next was to send a runner. This would be their job. How would you like that for a job? Your job is to bring a message as quickly as possible from point A to point B. And so they would send out runners, and there would be watchers on the wall. And the watchers got very smart after a while. They would watch for any runners coming in. They'd announce, runner coming in! Open the gate! But they could figure out before even the runner got there if the news was good or bad. See, if the news was bad... The runner wasn't in any great hurry to get to the city because there was that whole shoot the messenger thing going on. So the runner would be just like, I'm running. Hope they don't kill me because I'm bringing the bad news. But if a runner was bringing really good news, you know what the watchers would see long before they'd even see the runner? They would see clouds of dust because that runner was going flat out. He was so excited to bring news of victory, news of success, and that was, that, at that point, the, the watchers on the wall would say, how beautiful are the feet of those bringing the good news. That is us. We are the Christians who are bringing the good news to a world that is lying down and they're in despair and they're looking up and they're holding up their hand. They're going, I don't, I'm, I'm lost. I'm, I, I have guilt. I have sin. I'm broken. Is there anybody who can bring me good news? And they look and they see a Christian running at them, saying, I have the good news. I have the peace. Let me share it with you. God doesn't just want us to put these shoes on, the gospel of peace, to stand, although that is very important. He also wants us to advance. Soldiers are to advance. And as part of that advancement, we need to bring the good news 
to those around us. So let's be very faithful in doing that. Now, if we were to bring a Roman soldier from the past to today and give him a tour around, and he said, well, I want to see what your, your military looks like today. I want to see how, how things go on today. He might be a little disappointed. We don't use shields anymore in the military, for the most part. Uh, the shields don't really do a good job against machine gun fire. But I think he would nod in approval that in some areas, like law enforcement, bomb disposal, shields are still being used in 2021 A.D. In fact, we saw this just a couple months ago. If you were watching the news, you saw the Capitol riots. You might have seen some of the police officers out there with those riot shields, the plexiglass shields that they get out when there's a bad situation and when people are going to be right in their face, throwing things, maybe getting close enough to hit them with something really bad. So they hold up those shields to give them that personal protection. The extra barrier right there. Well, the Romans didn't have plexiglass. What they had was almost even better. They had a giant slab of wood that they would carry around with them. And I don't want you to get this, this image in your mind that it was this tiny little shield that they were carrying with them. They were basically carrying a four-foot door with them. It was covered in hide. It was covered with metal. And they would stand there together, side by side. And they could hold these things up and above their heads, they could basically form a wall. And that must have been terrifying to see. You're, you're opposing this army, and this army suddenly holds up a wall. And you're like, how can we get through that? Well, the soldiers, they, they had many uses for the shield. But one of the big uses was when the armies were far apart, they would be firing volleys of arrows at each other. And the shield, the, the Roman soldiers saw an arrow coming, saw javelins being thrown at them. They could kind of crunch themselves behind the shield and be fully protected. And have, I, I bet at that moment, that shield was the best thing in their life. The big slab of wood that suddenly they hear a thunk. And that just took an arrow that was meant for them. Well, the enemy got a little creative. And the enemy thought, well, if arrows aren't bad enough, let's go to flaming arrows. How terrifying is that? Not only is an arrow coming that could just pierce right into me, but now it could set me on fire. So even if I survive, I have a nasty burn wound going on. And so the soldiers, they, historical accounts said after some of these battles, the Roman soldiers would come out and their shield would look like a burnt porcupine. It would have all these burnt charred arrows sticking out of the front of it because they had been using it to block Flaming arrow volleys. It's crazy. Brothers and sisters, God does not promise us that we will go through life without being attacked. That these arrows are meant for other people. Not you. You're special. God loves you just a little bit more than the rest. So you won't be attacked. He says, no, you will be attacked. These arrows will come for you. They will be meaning to not only cut you, but to burn you, to hurt you for a long time to come. We see this throughout the entire Bible. He makes absolutely, he hides none of it. We see people from Eve, to Job, to Moses, to Peter, to Paul. We see Satan attacking them all. We see him lobbying those flaming arrows, and sometimes those arrows get through. And sometimes they hurt. Sometimes they wound their lives. But we see God 
who, while he doesn't promise us that we'll never be attacked, he says, I'm going to give you a piece of equipment for when it happens, you can stand up under that volley. You can stand up to those flaming arrows that Satan's throwing your way. And he equips us with a shield of faith. Better than plexiglass, better than wood, we get a shield of faith. Now, if you'll recall our formula, I'd be very surprised at this point, but maybe a little gratified. If you recall our formula of what faith is, faith is belief plus trust. We've talked about this before. You have to have both of those things to have faith. You have to believe in God, but you also have to trust Him. And if you have that combination, you have now formed a more powerful shield than any weapon in the world could ever pierce. Faith is incredible. Psalm 28, 7, the psalmist says there, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. See, the psalmist isn't just declaring a belief in God. I believe that God exists. I believe that God is strong. But he's also expressing a trust in God. I'm putting my life in His hands. If I do that, He'll protect me. If I do that, He won't let me down. He'll be on my side. And beyond just surviving the volley, this shield of faith that we're told we have available at our hands as Christians is also said to be the one thing that, over, that guarantees our victory in this world, that helps us overcome Satan, is our shield of faith. The Apostle says in 1 John 5, that says that our faith in Jesus Christ becomes the victory that has overcome the world. You are now carrying in your hands the object that can overcome the world, that can overcome Satan. You have it at your disposal. You have the best thing possible. You have to have belief. You have to have trust. But if you have both of those in God, you have faith and you have victory. It's coming. So every day, you need to be holding up that shield of faith. Every day, you need to declare to God, not to me, not to the public. You don't need to go out and say, look at how faithful I am. You need to say to God, God, today I believe in you and today I trust you. Today I know you will be with me. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to face what's coming. Both the shield uh, or the shoes of peace and the shield of faith keep us from falling back, keep us from running away. They help us to stand firm. Knowing that God's with us, He's for us, He's protecting us. That's of great comfort, and that keeps us from running. And it reminds me a lot of the account of King David. David, before he was king, you'll recall, he fought a guy named Goliath. And in that very famous story, before he got out there, David goes to King Saul. He says, I want to go fight this guy. Nobody else is going to. I'll go do it. And Saul says, well, bless your heart. Notice that Saul's not really getting out there fighting Goliath. He's He's like, well, you do that, you be you. He said, but Saul says, here, have my armor. Have my protection. Put my protection on. And so, uh, David tries it on. He's like, I always imagine like a little skinny kid in his dad's clothes, right? It's just, it doesn't fit well. It's too uncomfortable. It's like, you know what, Saul? I appreciate the gesture, but have it back. I'm just going to go out. I'm going to wear something a little different. I'm just going to wear my stuff. He goes out with a sling. He goes out with his clothes. And when he gets out of there, Goliath laughs at him. The Bible says he was mocking David. David, 
What are you, puny little guy coming at me? You don't even have armor on. I believe at that moment, Satan was whispering in Goliath's ear, you need to mock this guy. Look at what, look at what the God, look at what God sends against you. He's nothing. He's nothing. So Goliath mocks David. And then David comes back with him with the best smack talk that the Bible has ever provided. He says, I love this quote, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you. In the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And today, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. The world likes to posit this David versus Goliath thing as a little guy fighting and overcoming a giant. Christians know better. It was God looking at Goliath and squashing him like a bug. That's the God who's on our side. That's the God who's giving you armor. Not the armor of the world. The world says here, if you want to be tough, here's the things you need to put on. You need to put on things like anger. You need to be angry all the time. That makes you tough. You need to have loud opinions. The louder you are, the more you'll be respected, right? You need to have arrogant pride. You need to have willpower. You need to have confidence in your own ability or wealth or whatever have you. Those are, that's the armor the world puts on. To, to make itself feel secure. And the Bible says, no, go a different way. Go David's way. Put on peace. Put on faith. These things will ground you. These things will help you stand firm. These things, when the bad times come, when the flaming arrows strike out at you, you're going to stand when other people will fall. So let's do that today. Let's put on this army, this armor, this very unconventional armor, and stand firm this week with the help of our Lord. Let's pray. <coughs> Dear Heavenly Father, such a gracious God that you continue to provide for us past your righteousness, past truth. You give us peace. And you give us faith. Lord, I'm always amazed that the Bible tells us not only do you require faith of us? But Lord, you give us that faith. You help grow that faith in our heart that it would be impossible for us on our own to suddenly spontaneously develop faith. But you love us so much that you come down and in our hearts, hearts of stone, you turn to flesh with your faith. You make them beat for you. So Lord, even if we're weak this week, help us to be strong with your armor. Help us to be strong knowing that we are at peace with you. That we have a faith that is so great and so mighty that it can overcome the world. Help us just to see it, Lord. Help us to realize this is what we're wearing. It's such a good thing to have you at our back and have you at our side. We praise you, Lord. You're amazing. In your name, amen.